Uh, Take your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 16. As you do that, I I just want to say a quick hello from Matt and Sarah Hoffman. I had my phone here and was going to read for you a couple bullets of update from them. They're minister up at Camp Forest Springs. A lot of you know them well. Uh, Matt says that he's very thankful for the, uh, the recent completion of the dinner theater that they just accomplished. That's a big thing up at camp. They are praying that we would pray with them. Um, transitions, the stewardship of Camp Forest Springs, ministry expansions, There's plenty of things for us to pray for them as they steward the camp ministry. But then also, if you know Matt and Sarah, their children are growing. And like parents do, they're praying for good discipleship and mentoring and maturing of those kids as they grow toward adulthood. So I want to invite you to continue to pray for the Hofflands throughout the week as they're our missionaries for this week. Turning our Bibles to Romans 16, would you look with me at verse 25 through 27? The word of the Lord in Romans sixteen twenty five. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. And children who are heading off to Children's Church, you can be dismissed. The easiest way to do that is out this exit and down that hallway to your class for this morning. I am thankful that several of you have commented this morning, kind of an inquiry, about whether I was done with Romans. Maybe some of you were away from us last week, and you wondered if you missed the last one. I had some people ask, is today the last one? And I made a comment that was, I don't think so. And Scott Moody, who played this morning, said, if the pastor says he doesn't think it's the last one, you can rest assured it's not going to be the last one. Which is true, Scott. I think that was good discernment. Uh, Lord willing, my plan is to save verse 27 for next week. We have added a couple extra songs. And next Sunday will be the punctuation of what I think is the Spirit's intent in giving the church the book of Romans, which is an adoration, to be in awe, to worship uh, the God of righteousness in the gospel. This morning... I want to start with sharing, there's a, a nagging somewhat tradition about a conversation that Augustine had with uh, a critic, a critic of the biblical account of creation. The critic said this, well, if God existed for eternity before creation, what was he doing? And Augustine facetiously says, according to this tradition, He was creating a hell for curious souls. In fact, 
God's revelation to us doesn't necessarily predate creation. When God discloses himself to us, he does it in the context of our life. Romans is a testament to that. Romans 1 starts off with, God is the creator. God didn't start at creation, but in revealing himself to us, he says, hey, as it pertains to who you are, this is who I am. You should know me. However, while there's not a lot of revelation about what was happening in eternity past, there is some. Our great God in eternity past decreed, established a covenant of redemption. That's what I want to talk about this morning. When there was just the Godhead, when everything that was necessary was a plan, was decreed. That plan included creation and the fall. And it was part of the bigger plan of redemption. And today in my sermon, again titled Doxology, which is my my burden for us as a, a, a group of Christians, brothers and sisters, is that we would leave this study being doxological. And today, I hope to draw out from this passage the triune faithfulness in the covenant of redemption. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm resting a little bit on the fact that, because I'm aware that the word Holy Spirit, Trinity, are not in this doxology. But, I'm resting a little bit in the fact that it was about halfway through my preparation and outlining of this sermon when I saw the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit being praised for accomplishing the strengthening of us that comes through the gospel. To him, to them, who are able to strengthen you by the preaching of the gospel, that is Jesus, to him be glory, okay? So, the conclusion of this epistle is doxology. Paul is praising God for his awesome gospel that's able to strengthen the church. He said that was his intent back in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel there is the power of God to salvation. Would you listen to me just briefly seeing how this whole thing comes together from thesis statement to doxological conclusion. Paul says it's the gospel that is the only way. So when he says power, it, it is the word dunamis, but it's not meant to be like dynamite. Hey, hey, look how much it does. It's exclusive power. The gospel is the only means to deliver those in bonds to salvation. Not ashamed that that's the only way. Not ashamed that moral reform won't do that. I'm not ashamed that political peer pressures won't do that. I'm not ashamed that it's the gospel alone that does that. And here he says, it is that gospel which strengthens the church. And this is his concluding praise. Last week we started this doxology. We studied it a little bit if you were here with us. We saw that it is God 
who is able to strengthen sinners according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then, if you look at the text, there's a comma. Now, to him who's able to do this strengthening of the church, liberating us from the bonds of sin, setting us free to grow and live and worship in Christ, to him who's able to do that according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, comma. What follows and what's for us today is three clauses. They're dependent clauses. In other words, they all interact. They are dependent clauses that describe for us the gospel's strengthening. What we'll see here is that honor and glory belongs to the triune God of the gospel. These three clauses explain that the gospel is this. First, is revealed in Christ himself. It had been hidden, now it's known. Why is it now known, Paul? Incarnation. The prophecies and the fulfillment of those prophecies in Christ have made it known. Number two, the gospel is revealed as God had commanded it. And then number three, this last dependent clause, the gospel is revealed in those who were dead in sin but are now transformed by the spirit of obedience to faith. The spirit of obedience to faith. So in other words, when God's decree was that the gospel would produce something, that is the something the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit does in us. Okay? So those three things. Let's look at one main point. We praise a triune God of salvation. That's the main point. Under that, I want to explain to you the triune praise that we doxologically lift up right now. We praise, we worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. How exactly is that? Let's look at the text again. Verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. doesn't say it started It says it was not known because it had been kept secret for long ages. Verse 26, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writing has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel is a mystery now revealed by God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's look at the first one. The gospel is a mystery made known in the prophecies and the incarnation of Jesus. The gospel is a mystery made known in what had been prophesied and what had been made plain in Jesus. The Bible says that it was kept secret for long ages, but has now been revealed. The gospel is revealed truth. It is truth that comes from somewhere other than us, not human wisdom. Paul goes on to speak of the tension in the mystery. Turn your Bibles back to 11, Romans chapter 11. I want to just show you verse 25 here where he says something similar. Romans eleven twenty-five. Lest you be wise 
in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. It was something that you didn't know. It was there. You just didn't know. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. So that makes sense with how he concludes this letter about the gospel being worked out to the nations. He says here in the context of this doxology. The mystery is the work of the gospel not to an ethnic people, but to the nations. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, we'll look at verses 2 through 6. By the time Paul writes Ephesians, he says, okay, there are some things that people didn't know, but he starts off in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, I'm, I'm assuming you already know the answer to the mystery that was made known to me by revelation, as I, has, as I have written briefly. And then in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to these holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Look, just look down quickly to verse 9. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in the God who created all things. There was something unknown. That thing became known in the Old Testament scripture and in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It was veiled, but now disclosed. The truth is the Son of God would come from heaven, would live and die in our place, and that we all nations, people from every tribe and tongue and language, would enter into salvation only by depending in him. This can be known by us in Revelation. Earlier, Paul had wrote in Romans chapter 10, he says, how will they know, how will they believe if someone doesn't tell them about Jesus Christ? The mystery had been kept a secret for long ages. Had been kept a secret. The verb, kept secret. Uh, in Greek, there are some, there are what's called voices. There are voices. Um, you guys hear voices too, right? Are they in Greek? <laughs> there, are, there are voices, especially to verbs. <laughs> um, this voice is really interesting. It's called the perfect voice. So when a verb happens in the perfect, it means that it, it is an action. It's a verb. It has completed action, the perfect, but it's ongoing completion. That's why it's called perfect. I mean, it's really, it's really almost hard to fathom, right? It's action accomplished that is ongoing in its effect. So the action, the secret of a mystery, that is Jesus is still, to some people, kept secret for long ages. In some sense, the secret is permanent. 
one commentator says this, we should understand that the silence of God is not some deprivation or absence of noise, but something positive. God's silence is no more the absence of speech than peace is the absence of war. It has been kept silent. The secret, that which isn't known, even now, remains unknown. We could call it God's hiddenness. Is there a hiddenness in God? That which was revealed in Christ, made known, yet remains? I don't know about you, but I sure think so. A wonderful, appropriate hiddenness about our God. A fathomlessness. Whatever it is, the rope you have of mental ascent, and you drop it over, that's what fathoming is, right? You know that's a sailor term. What is unfathomable? You have all this rope on your boat, you tie a weight at the end, and you start counting off fathoms as you drop it. And that's how you count to figure out how deep the water was. Whatever it is, the length of your rope of mental ascent, like I understand complex things. You don't have enough rope to reach the depth, the fathom that is the wonder of our God. This had been kept secret for long ages, he says. I think, I think Paul's pointing us to the eternality of our God. I mean, what do you say? What do you say? The God who is has been a mystery for... Go ahead and finish that sentence. Paul just says long ages. Let me just say, God has been long ages. But, he says, has now been made known. There is a sense with this perfect verb, it is a completed action. How was this mysterious God made known? The change now happens from a perfect to an errorist. It points to a definite event. So there's this perfect action that took place at a moment. What was that moment? The coming of Jesus Christ. He says the prophetic writings, this refers to Old Testament. But Paul is saying the real meaning of the Old Testament is only known through the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot conclude rightly the Old Testament scripture apart from saying it's teaching me about Jesus. It's, I remember years ago hearing someone say, and as a young man I was perplexed and didn't know even how to process what he had said. He talked about the Old Testament being a part of the Bible that was written to someone else Therefore, it was always going to be hard for us to understand. I would say that that's an expression of the Old Testament as a mystery that is denying that it's been revealed in Christ. The unity of the Old and New Testament is that the only way of salvation was to be apart from the law, but witnessed to by the law and the prophets. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Let's make sure that that's true. Romans chapter 3 Look at verse 21. 
Romans 3.21, if you don't know, is this beautiful breath of fresh air in the beginning of Romans. So in Romans, there's three chapters of like, you deserve hell. Well, I go to church. Yes, you deserve hell too. Well, I think that sometimes I do some good things. All right, that's because a God who is good created you. You deserve hell. And, and when you preach through verse by verse of the Bible, you came to church for months and heard me remind you in a not so encouraging way, you deserve hell. And, and with, with paused breath, we waited for Romans 3.21. Romans 3.21, but now, finally, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All of the law and all of the prophets are meant to be a good gift to bear witness to Jesus Christ. What the prophets reveal, the mystery that is now known, is Jesus himself. For about two weeks now, I have been in this interaction with a man who, frankly, may be here right now. Uh, If you are, I, I look forward to meeting you at the end of the service. There's a man who called me on a Saturday two weeks ago and introduced himself as a Jehovah's Witness neighbor. And they're not going house to house right now because people are uncomfortable with that, so they're calling. And he left a voicemail um, and wanted to talk to me about the encouragement and the, the hope that we have, that God has not abandoned us, even though things are kind of difficult. That was a nice message. So I called him back and spent some time talking. He sent me some things, and I sent him some things back. And um, this past, I think it was Thursday, I kept asking him if we could get together. And this past Thursday, he said, um, just kind of a, odd question, but he said, there's a man with the same name as yours who's a pastor of a church in Rib Mountain. (laughs) He said, would that happen to be you? Uh, Yes, it is. Does that mean you won't meet with me? And I haven't heard back from him since then. So if you are here, I'm glad that you're here. I really want to have a conversation with you. And I want to talk about the mystery revealed, what all of the prophets talked about, what didn't start at some moment, but was hidden for long ages, didn't begin, friend. God didn't make it the first thing he created. In fact, John 1 says, without this Christ, nothing is made. God, the Father, independent of the Son, made No thing. Everything that was made was made through Jesus. Including, theoretically, Jesus. If everything that is made is made by Jesus, Jesus pre-exists everything made. In the beginning. When you want to start recalling, Jesus was with God. And then, just take your Bible with me. What is 
the revelation of the gospel. Go to Revelation 1. And listen, when you get that phone call, friend, when they say, hey, I want to talk to you about hope, say, whoo, you have no idea, hope. And call them back. Because you know who Jesus is. It's not a mystery to us. The prophets, the incarnation, testify. Scripture testimony. One of the problems with John 1 is a debate, a division in translation. The New World Translation has changed some words in John 1 so that the word, Christ, is not God, but he is a God. He's godly. So there's this revision that takes place in the Jehovah's Witness Bible. But I'm so thankful that we live in a moment where there has been an oversight. There's been no revision to Revelation 1. Uh, And I want to share it with you now as it reveals to us the mystery hidden. Uh, Revelation 1. Uh, Let's start in, I sent this to him this week. Um, Let's start in verse 17. John's getting the news, right? The mystery is revealed. And in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. Okay, in case you missed it, let me just read it the way it would have been recorded to John. Don't be afraid, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Now, you might be puzzled because these words are in red. I'm the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. (laughs) What? The Alpha and Omega died, but now lives? You bet. Because that's not a mystery to us anymore. It had been hidden for long ages that in God there is a triune Godhead, Jesus Christ, who is likewise the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he died, but he lives now. When it comes to the strengthening we have in the gospel, we are strengthened with assurance, assurance that The Savior, the Messiah, the sacrificial Lamb of God who we put our trust in is no less than God himself. Co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. I'm strengthened by that. The gospel is revealed in what is written about, in what is testified to in the incarnation of Christ the gospel in the triune Godhead, the Son. Let's look second, the Father. The gospel is a mystery made known in the command of the Father. What if the gospel had been eternally decreed and promised by God that good news would be available to people? I'm not strengthened by that. Instead, God did not just theorize good news, but commanded the gospel to strengthen those who were dead in their sin. According to the gospel of the eternal God, the adjective eternal, it hints to timelessness. When was this promise to redeem? 
we get glimpses into the context. Long ages. The eternal God. This, this promise, this covenant of redemption did not come sometime after Adam and Eve ate fruit. But an eternal God who is immutable, changeless, commanded it. The mystery has been revealed lately, relatively, right, in scope of eternity. The mystery, all the Old Testament oracles and promises, Jesus fulfills them. Jesus is like a flashlight that says, look, see all these texts? That's me. That seems lately, 2,000 years ago, in the scope of eternity, The mystery has been revealed lately, but we do not understand that that means the mystery was new. We do not conclude that this decree, this command to redeem was a response. It is hard for us to fathom that even before we fell, God planned to redeem The eternal God works out eternal purpose. We're going to jump around here a little bit. You don't have to go with me. I'm going to read them. If, if you listen well by not reading it, that's fine. You can listen. But I want to take you to five different texts that give us description about what's happening before creation. God commanding the gospel to redeem. Okay? <laughs> Ephesians 1.4 Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world... That we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I know sometimes as we've walked through Romans the, the particular way all of us might express predestination sometimes can be frustrating. I respect that. This statement requires no further explanation. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What was God doing before creation? Decreeing and guaranteeing a plan of redemption. Ephesians 3.11 This was according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Don't be ashamed. Not because of our works, but because of... Why, why are we receiving this gospel? Because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So maybe, maybe Paul has an issue, right? Ephesians, two places. He's like, yep, before creation, this is what God was doing. What if Paul got it wrong? Does anyone else testify to this? Well, Jesus does. Jesus does in two places, particularly. In John chapter 6, which, oh, if you don't know John chapter 6 well, you should. John chapter 6 is Jesus, like, 
laying out the radical nature of the gospel. And you know why he's doing it? To shrink his church, which is super cool to me. In John 6, 38, he says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing at all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I came down from heaven. I was up there with him before the ages, and now I'm come down here to do what he said we were going to do before I left there. Lose nothing that he's already given me. John 17, Jesus prays that that would happen. He prays to the Father on his way across town. He goes from the upper room and he's walking over toward the garden and he prays this high priestly prayer in John 17, 4. He says, Father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The Son and the Father together sharing mutually in appropriate glory and then the Father says, now go do this work. And Jesus says, I'll go and accomplish it. And he prays in the last days of his earthly life, Father, return to me the glory that we had when you commanded redemption that I'm about to go accomplish. The purpose is for a peculiar people, nations, not ethnic, but from every nation, a peculiar people, to be for his name's sake. It is the obedience of faith among nations. Let's get into the third one. We see the Son, mystery revealed, now made known. We see the Father planning, commanding the gospel. And now we see third, the gospel is a mystery that is now made known, we are strengthened in it, in the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. As, as Baptists, admittedly, sometimes it's easy for us to overlook the gospel's application by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't come and testify of itself. It's a teacher. The Spirit, he teaches us about the Father and the Son. We know the Spirit's working because we see the Spirit's work, right? The wind is not easy to see. Unless, of course, you watch the tree rustling back and forth. The text says that this gospel is revealed. It's strengthening us to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, there is this absolutely undeniable echo. Paul's punctuating what he introduced. Go back to Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 5 and 6. This gospel is bringing, out the, bringing about the obedience of faith. Romans 1, 5. This Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's the statement. He's praising God 
for understanding, for seeing the fruit of it in the Spirit. The decree was to bring about the obedience of faith. I think this is essential um, to us understanding the gospel. Friends, there, there is an appealing version of evangelism that rises and falls on people not going to hell. And, and that's not what we're reading here. You know, you've heard me say over the last four years, maybe more than once, and maybe not always softly, that the, the idea of the sinner's prayer can be misleading. I'm not saying the confession of faith is bad in any way. In fact, I think we go to Romans 10, 9 and 10 and say, with the heart you believe, with the mouth you confess. Nothing wrong with praying confession of prayer to God. Peter tells us it's the way to be forgiven. If you confess, he's faithful to forgive. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm, I'm just telling you that if, if there is some four-sentence prayer that gets people out of hell, it really should be recorded in the Bible. Faith expressed all sorts of ways, partly verbally. What's in the heart comes out of the mouth, Jesus said. So that's okay. But I'm telling you that this idea that there's this sinner's prayer that guarantees we don't have to go to hell at the end is not the presentation of the gospel that we praise God for. It is the Spirit of God working in us, producing the obedience of faith. So there, there, like in Galatians, in Galatians 6, there's the fruit of the flesh, which leads to death. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit, which leads to life, okay? Paul already described the work of the Spirit in the church, in the Christian. Paul already described it. I would invite you to take your Bible to Romans 8. Any chance, anytime a preacher says, like, for instance, in Romans 8, just turn there right away because it's going to be something fantastic. Romans 8, Paul described the work of the Holy Spirit in a way that helps us understand right here what he's talking about, that this gospel is revealed as the leaves of the tree blow. Romans eight twelve. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive the lowercase s, spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. You have received the capital S, spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, well, that obviously means that we're heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. The Spirit working in us 
giving us a new voice that says, God is dad. And worshiping him, honoring him, obeying him is joyful, but I still can't do it. But the spirit who now works in us does it. This is why John Newton could write this. We sing the hymn, Amazing Grace, right? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The gospel didn't just make me more capable of getting to heaven. The same grace that brought me out of bondage and sin will lead me safely home. When the Spirit works in us and produces this persevering obedience, one commentator says, that Spirit work of perseverance in us is the rope that ties our soul to the doorpost of heaven. That was good. I didn't want to keep that to myself. I wanted to share that with you. The Spirit's work that produces our obedience says to our soul, you are tied to the doorpost of heaven. You won't be lost. The gospel is revealed. It strengthens me. Ephesians 1.13 in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed it. In believing, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I mean, that is fantastic. The Spirit producing the obedience of faith in us gives us assurance we belong to our Father God. That's just fantastic. John Blanchard says, glory for the Christian is more certain than death. <laughs> you know that statement, only two things are sure in life? Death and, ah, taxes. Blanchard says, glory is more certain. So maybe we would say a couple things are certain in life. Taxes, maybe death, but definitely glory. That's good gospel-revealed perspective. Here's a question. This work of obedience, this revealed Jesus Christ, gospel commanded to produce obedience in people from all nations, Here's my question. Why has God willed that the Gentiles largely not receive the mystery of Christ until right now? Why has God willed in his command to produce obedience of the faith by the Spirit of God that the Gentiles experience salvation to such an extent 
at this stage in the plan of redemption. Why? Why was it hidden for so many ages? Friend, and this isn't super easy. We've already been down the road in Romans 11. A partial hardening came to them so that the Gentiles would come in full number so that jealousy would be produced in them. What? You're claiming to have hold on our God? We're Jews. Yeah, we're the church. We, we have him in Christ. He's ours forevermore. No, that's not right. Well, you can have him too in Christ. Why? Why do it that way chronologically? Why, why have seasons of hard-heartedness? By a God who cannot have his hand withheld. Why do that? And it could be, it could be really perplexing. But we have verse 27. Imagine that there is just this amorphous interest in God from time to time and people being saved from all sorts of languages and nations. It would be hard for us in that to see verse 27. (laughs) But a God who in eternity past decreed salvation, who said, okay, first thing I'm going to do is this, and then I'm going to do that, so that then this will happen, because that's the end goal. We get to this moment where we sit here as a Gentile church, worshiping a very Jewish God, and anticipating Jewish people being won into Christ by the Spirit of God. And we say to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Wow. I'd invite the worship team to come up because in just a moment, we are going to very authentically flow into a singing of the doxology. The eternal covenant of redemption is laid out without a single blemish, a single blemish, to reveal the righteousness of our God in a way that leads every recipient of this revelation to doxology. The speaking by me of the righteousness of God has not always been perfect. Sometimes very confusing. But the truth prevails. God is awesome. And it is a delight of my life to speak his praise to whoever will listen, in the church or outside. Our response to this revelation, so much 
intricate truth of the gospel right here. We've studied it for four years. Listen closely to this warning. This revelation has not been given to us to make us better debaters about the particulars of the gospel. This revelation was given to us to fuel our worship of our God while we wait with hope deferred. While we wait, we have a clarion call to every living soul to praise God from whom all blessings flow, to praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 